All right. Welcome back to Autodesk Digital Builder Podcast. This is the second half of my conversation with Ross Wagner, the manager of technical sales here at Autodesk, and Lisa Chen, the technical solutions executive. We are talking all things construction technology, and I'm still so glad you guys are here. You didn't get up and walk away at the end of our first uh, half of the conversation. So, you know, thanks for weathering the storm. It's, uh, it's been a bunch of fun so far. So Lisa, I got another question for you. I'm going to put you right in the hot seat here in the second half. Can you tell me a little bit more about like why are some contractors out there still holding on to paper and rejecting some of the digital tools? I know we covered a little bit of this before, but I'd, I'd just love to hear a little bit more about like why are we still holding on to these processes? Because the pyramids were built with paper and you can still build with paper today and you don't necessarily need technology to build today. And so with that being said, it is a slower process. You can't build as fast. You'll be requiring more man hours. For example, if I were to submit an RFI manually, it may take 10 man hours. But if I had maybe a construction platform, it would be reduced to five man hours. And then I could save the five man hours to utilize it, you know, adding value to the project, maybe negotiating a change order with the owner. And I get that. It's change is difficult. And so I, I don't mean to be flippant about saying that we should adopt change or anything else. And in changing the way your organization approaches building can be a little bit scary. And so I think just having conversations like this one to showcase that there's value in bringing out these new technologies and experimenting with these things does go a long way. And, you know, pushing those changes forward. And Ross, I was hoping you can give me a little more context. Like, how do we coach people? How do, how do we help people understand the value there and, and help them look to new digital technology and maybe shaking up the way that they're uh, approaching how they build a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think whenever you're going through a digital transformation, it's a hurdle to jump through. And, and obviously, for some people, it's overwhelming. So a lot of times people within Autodesk and other software vendors are there to, to steward them through that process. And so we've done this a bunch. How often do they evaluate new tech every few years? And so what I would do is I would dive into what are their inefficiencies they're trying to improve. Talk to your people. There are so many times where the office is not talking to the the trailer. or yeah, you, you can't roll out technology from that top-down approach because even if it's the best change ever, you're going to have pushback just because you, they don't feel hurt. Right. And I understand that. I think that we've all been in a situation where, you know, you feel like you're getting a little bit beat up because the process suddenly changes and you don't know why. So you got to talk to them. I agree. hundred percent, hundred percent. So yeah, I think the other thing that is really important is just starting simple. Like you talk to the people, you evaluate whatever the pain points are. You don't try to jump in the deep end. You try to like evaluate what is the biggest pressure point that we're losing money on and start there and then expand. A lot of times for people who are going from paper to Digital is just going on the cloud and having a common data environment. Next step, there's a lot of other places you can go from there, but we would absolutely walk you through that any time of the day. And that's such an important nuance to remember because I've talked to so many people working in the industry when they're like data, for example, your example on the common and data environment. It's a huge one and it's easy to, to look at that pie in the sky and say, all your processes are here, all your data is here, everything's connected, it's all great. But realistically, that is an overwhelming thing to think about, especially if you have a medium or large size organization. Yeah. So finding those spots where you go, okay, narrow your focus. Like, where do you already have the most documentation? Or where are you seemingly trending towards digital technology already? Start there. Like, mm -hmm. you don't have to digitize everything. You see, you narrow that focus. You go, okay, our safety stuff is already pretty digital. 
let's figure out how we can improve that. Yeah. Build your proof case and then you get to kind of go from there. So people don't feel quite so alarmed when you say, look at this, look at the value and they feel hurt too. So Lisa, I'd love to hear about some organizations that have done this well. Can you tell me a story about any companies who have really truly gone through that digital transformation successfully? Like, Tell me a little about where they started and what that journey really looked like for them. So I definitely would say when I started my career, I was a project engineer and they handed me the iPad and said, all right, you got to go pin 300 RFIs onto plan grid. And that was my task. And when I did that, I was like, wow, this is an aha moment. I can now take this plan grid iPad with the drawings digitally onto the airport, you know, navigate my way without having to ride my bike back to the office, which was uh, we had bikes. So we were. Tell me more about that. <laughs> it was my first project was the Oakland airport and we had bicycles to go from the trailer, which was an old vacant air hanger. And then we'd bike all the way down to terminal one and manage our contractors that way. And I remember being next to the carpenters that were forming the concrete walls and they'd take out their iPad and reference the submittals, reference the RFI that just got answered by the structural engineer in San Francisco, and they could just pull up all that information. And then I've worked at companies that love their highlighters and they print every set of drawings. And then seeing those companies adopt PlanGrid and utilizing it in the field and saving man hours and saving time, because all of that time adds up at the end to profit and margins. In the, in the time part of it, for me, I just remember 12-hour days, like you're on a proposal deadline, and it's brutal, especially when I was still doing most of that. There was no tech that was tied to proposal management that made that process easier. And it was hard. I mean, you work a 12-hour day, you work, come back, you work another 12-hour day, and you're forcing these processes into tools that weren't made for it. And it's it's hard. And so it's encouraging to hear that transition. And I do love the bike story, by the way. I don't think I've ever had a bicycle given to me on a project site, but- I'm was envisioning that- Lisa with a basket of, you know, in front of a bike with a measuring tape, <laughs> yep. a roll of paper, you know. I love that. Was iPad. it was that partly because of the fact that it was an active flight area and so having other vehicles on on the airfield was problematic? Correct. You could not park your trucks onto the airfield or anywhere near the airport without it being some sort of permit process. And so instead of walking for 30 minutes, we rode bikes for 10 minutes. That's awesome. It makes sense. I, I remember working on some proposals back in the day where there was active airfields in it and the logistics sections of those were onerous. And it was very obviously if somebody steps into the flight line, now I have to do all sorts of stuff right. to deal with this, even if nothing happened, because I got to make sure like one stray bolt is a big deal. So uh, thank you for sharing that, that context. That was, uh, that was pretty interesting. So I have, I have a couple final questions for you. And they're recurring ones that I ask every one of these guests. And so I'm going to, I'm going to throw the first one at you, Ross. Yeah. What is one tool that you bring to every project that you work on, no matter what project it is? Measuring tape. Measuring tape. 100%. Yeah. I actually had that answer this morning on a different conversation I was having. And I love that one. How many measuring tapes do you own? 
I would say three, you know, the different one, the 12 footer, the 25 footer, the one that's like the really thick 25 footer so you can hold it up. Right. Yeah, the, the beastly one yeah, where it's exactly. like you can fight with those. Yeah. And <laughs> right. don't ask me how I know about that, but <laughs> <laughs> I think I have four, um, three kind of modern, like you said, where the different sizes and such. And then I have one that's my grandpa's actually. And oh, so it doesn't cool. have like the locker or anything on it, but it's like beefy and just all solid metal. And I keep that under my desk just in case I need to measure something random. And also if, you know, somebody breaks in, I can probably fight them off with it because it weighs right, so much. Right. <laughs> well, coming from architecture too, you, you know, you walk around the job site, whatever's reflected in the plans never is always exactly to the eighth of the quarter of the inch that you wanted. So you Makes had to sense. bust out the measuring tape <laughs> to validate that. How about you, Lisa? What's one tool you'd bring to any project you're working on? So it would be blue tape. I always see punchless items that need to be fixed. And so blue tape and, and plan grid and making sure that those punchless items are resolved. So I even have blue tape around my house every time I see a ding. I'm like, there's a piece <laughs> of blue tape. We got to go fix that later. I like that. And you get to pick your collar and it kind of helps identify. It's like, this is my stuff here. If you look around at all the podcast equipment, there are blue stripes and pink stripes on a lot of these things. And that's indicative of whose piece of equipment actually <laughs> we're using. So it's a, it's a good one too. And something I, I apply in a adjacent fashion, I guess. So thank you, Ross. All right. So I got one last question for you. Okay. Do you have anything that you'd like to plug today? Like anything you're working on, anything you're excited about that, you know, everybody out there should hear about? Well, what I'm working on is uh, preventing flooding with my house in California right now. <laughs> <laughs> that is topical. I mean, we, we're we're pegging ourselves to a moment in time, and yeah. um, I mean, I was here, for, lived here for years and years, and I've been watching this on the news. It's kind of a scary moment, though, because aside from you know the, the silliness of just how crazy, like we're all desperate for rain, and then all of it comes in in the course of one week. But yeah, you know, obviously the infrastructure wasn't necessarily prepared to deal with uh, the magnitude of what we're dealing with right now. So. Yeah, if only California was a little bit better at like capturing all this water too. I know we have our reservoirs, but there's still so much water just going straight back in the ocean. I heard you know? that too. So it's like all the reservoirs have gone up, but there's no meaningful mechanism to route all of just the runoff in. So I, I, I wonder if, you know, maybe with the IIJA that's coming out, the Infrastructure Act, yeah, there could be some opportunity for a, a more appropriate water management system because California's thirsty. <laughs> we, we definitely need uh, as much water here as possible. So. Yep. Lisa, how about you? Is there anything that you're excited about or working on or people should know about? So in a couple of weeks, you, you can find me at the Associated Schools and of Construction, which is the Region 6 and Region 7 in Reno, Nevada. So it's when the students compete. Autodesk will be hosting and funding one of the dinners that evening. So if you're interested, stop by the Autodesk booth and pick up a pen or a piece of swag. Nice. And if you're watching this on YouTube right now, you know what Lisa looks like. So you can go find her and say, hey, and tell her that one of the best podcast episodes you had an opportunity to listen to in you know, recent memory. So make sure you check that out. But outside of that, both of you, just thank you so much for joining me today. I sincerely appreciate you sharing your knowledge and you know a little bit of your time with me this afternoon. And for everybody out there, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to another episode of our Digital Builder podcast. Again, if you've got any questions for me, you can always find me on LinkedIn or reach out directly on Builder under underscore digital over on Twitter. And as I just mentioned, we are doing this on video now. So if you like to watch what's going on or see a little bit of behind the scenes, check us out over on YouTube. And then finally, if you're enjoying these conversations, if you could do me a big personal favor, go out and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite player. Just takes a couple of minutes, throws five stars or whatever you feel appropriate. It does make a big difference for us here in the back end of the show. So thank you for that. And on that final note, goodbye.